Well, this past weekend, as we got back uh, from our Thanksgiving vacation, uh, we gave our Saturday, we donated our Saturday to decorating our house for Christmas. That's right. We bowed down before the season and said, I give you my Saturday, O great and wondrous Christmas season. We got out all the Christmas decorations, which is a feat in itself, to climb up in the attic in that small little narrow hole that somehow you wiggle boxes through. (sighs) My back hurts. (laughs) We put on the Christmas music. We set up the fake plastic tree. We had wreaths hanging, Santas abounding, lights a-soaring, and that was just Saturday. Later today, we'll adore the exterior. We'll get up on the ladder, line the roof with lights, uh, make the walkway with lights, and maybe do the, uh, the porch as well. But this year, we're going to do something really special. We, we were asking the question, what can help us bring in the Christmas season better than anything else in all the world? What, what can help us celebrate the birth of Christ and teach our children what really matters? A nativity scene, you may ask? Oh no, nothing of the sort. We're letting an inflatable BB-8 and Chewbacca ring in the Christmas season for us this year. Yes, yes, nothing says, Merry Christmas, Jesus, I can't believe you came into this dark world like two Star Wars characters (laughs) with antlers on their heads. (laughs) Somehow that makes it Christmas. But that's today, that's us, sadly. What about the first century church? What about, what about the first Christmas that ever happened? How did the Jews ring in Christmas? Did they watch, did they watch Christmas Story on rerun, or did they watch Christmas Vacation on rerun? Did they get some eggnog and go caroling? What? How did they do it? That's what we're going to find out today. And so please stand for God's word. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. I'm going to ask Malcolm to to read for us because I haven't asked him yet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. All right. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You 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 have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
Let's pray. Father, what a, what a wonderful, beautiful passage. And so, Lord, we, we may have heard this many, many times before. Um, and so, Lord, we just ask that we would not become calloused to it. Uh, that as we hear this, these words anew, would they cut us afresh? Uh, Lord, we know your word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And would it pierce our heart and our soul that we walk away today changed? And so, Father, may we not waste this moment we have this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are talking about Advent. Someone say Advent. All right, Advent is this season that's, that's leading up to Christmas. So it's the four Sundays prior uh, to December 25th. And Advent means, as we've said in our liturgy, coming. It's, it's a waiting for the coming of our Lord. And so Advent is all about anticipation. It's all about expectation. And at Christmas, we typically celebrate his first coming when Jesus first came. But then we turn to a traditional Christmas passage like the one we just read, uh, and, and this passage here, as you've read it, is all about darkness, right? It, it, it's kind of a gloomy passage until the very end. It doesn't feel as festive or as commercial. I mean, you can feel it, right? As you read this, you're going, oh, this is going to be hard. Like, and sometimes you can feel the darkness in your life, right? Sometimes we walk into rooms and you just feel like, oh, something bad happened here. This season we're actually entering into, into right now is a season of darkness that for many people, and all, this, all the studies show us that, that depression skyrockets during the months after Thanksgiving and before Easter. And so sometimes for some of us, we are walking through this season, we can feel the darkness, we can feel the heaviness. It's not just that the sun goes down at 4.30, which is ridiculous, but you feel it. You actually, you're almost like, I don't really want to work today. You feel like a little less motivation, I don't really want to do that. What's the point? And so I think, I think we, Advent is a beautiful time for us to think about this because it's something that we are already going through right now. We're walking into a depression minefield. And that's how verse 1 begins. Verse 1 says, There will be no gloom, meaning that the Jews have been living in gloom and in darkness. And so the Assyrians, who were this, the, this evil superpower, you know, have been at war with them and pushing into their territory. And so they've had, they're, they're experiencing murder, they're experiencing enslavement, they're experiencing exile. And that's just the story of God's people in the Old Testament over and over and over again. I mean, centuries of foreign governments coming in, being built up, taking Israel and Judah and down and taking them out. And as the Jews may have thought each time, okay, now's the time that we will be delivered. Now's the time we'll be saved. And here comes this new superpower that puts fish hooks in their mouth and carries them off into slavery. I mean, God's people are hurt, they're broken, and verse 2 says, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. It says deep darkness. And the Hebrew there literally means the death shadow. Those who walked in the death shadow. That's the background for our text here. What is the death shadow? It's death it's tragedy, it's rape, it's, it's prejudice based on skin color, based on nationality, based on gender. Corrupt kings taking and taking, people in a power abusing that power. And I, I asked, how did the Old Testament Jews prepare for this first Christmas? And remember that the reason Jesus came was to be, bring light to the darkness, right? 
Superpowers were rising all around Israel to take them out, squashing them down so frequently. I mean, how were the Jews able to worship in that environment? How were they able to worship in that environment when their, their families are being torn apart, their people are being abused, and we're wondering, where's the eggnog? It feels silly. Here's what I want us to see here today, that the Jews were not looking forward to celebrating a nativity, right? That was a surprise to them. They, they weren't looking forward to little eight-pound baby Jesus, that's not what they were looking forward to. This preparation and advent was, was a longing, was a begging that took hundreds of years. That's why we have hymns that say, come thou long expected Jesus. I mean, you can feel the bellow and the angst in that. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. I mean, it is a cry. It's a groan. Advent is a groan. This isn't right. And too, much, too, too many times we skip over the punch of Christmas with Advent. We skip over what Christmas actually could be when we skip over Advent. And so verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And now for most of us right now, we, we, we want to sing that Christmas carol that goes along with that. But for them, they just heard that the government will be on his shoulder. And now for those of us who don't know oppression, that doesn't ring loud. But when, when we see, and you may have seen some of these photos of paramilitary officers carrying a limp body of a dead two-year-old who rolls up on the shores in Turkey because his government was so oppressive that they were killing their people that not only he, but his kid brother as well said, let's swim across and die. I mean, that's heartbreaking. I mean, who do you turn to when your government is out for you? I mean, he and his brother said, let's just swim for it. That's how they celebrated their Christmas. Swim for freedom. I mean, that's the oppression we're talking about that's going on in this context right here. What if you were assaulted when you called 911? You called 911 and the police officer came and he beats you too. I mean, who do you turn to then when you call and ask for help and the help oppresses you? When your parent is the one who is molesting you, who do you turn to? When you're assaulted and the oppressors are the ones in power, where do you turn? Our brothers and sisters in Israel lived in this environment and we read verse 6, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And we don't even blink. But for the first century Jews, looking for a Messiah to come, he's saying, hush, hush, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of it. It's a balm to their soul. I will put the government on my shoulder and I will be called the prince of peace to a people who don't think peace is possible. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And so I want us to just see and tremble at the hope that's right in this passage right here. Tremble at his, of the increase of his government and of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
And so it's not in a nostalgic tradition, but in a warrior king that makes all the pain end that we celebrate Christmas. To end, to give justice to our dead family. This king gives real hope. Verse 4 says that he will break the rod of the oppressors. Right in this Christmas passage. He will give you peace when you don't think peace is possible. And so you, I, our children are in his capable hands. He has got you. And he will rule justly. Even if the earthly earthly courts don't rule justly, he will rule justly. And that's the expectation of the first coming, that he will do it and he is doing it. But then Christ comes and it's a shock because he comes as a baby in a manger. He has, he, he, we, we expect him to come to lead a rebellion and, and people rebel against him. He's actually being oppressed. He gets ridiculed. He has people taking advantage of him. He has his best friends betray him, one of them with, with a kiss. He gets strung up on a wooden cross and he has metal ripping through his veins. And you can imagine that expectation of the first century Jews saying, this was supposed to work. No. This was the answer to all of this evil around us. But as we prepare for this advent of his second coming, Christmas just can't be remembering his first coming. He's not in a manger anymore. Like, he's not even on the cross anymore. He's in heaven reigning. He's king of the earth. He's, he's sitting down because he is ruling. And so he, he is there ruling, and he's going to bring, when he comes back, he's not just going to bring peace on earth. He's going to bring war with him, it says. Like, when he comes back, it's, 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 it's go time. Christ will come into the world, it says, to judge it. And that's a chilling version of Jesus that we usually don't like to think about. We like to think about little eight-pound baby Jesus in the manger. And I think Matt Chandler says, ironically says, that's why we like cuddly baby Jesus. He's not imposing. But the one who has fire coming out of his eyes with a sword out of his mouth, we don't like to think about that Jesus. That, that, that's a little scary for us. We like to think of safe, tame Jesus, not ferocious Jesus. And we can't separate that, though. We can't separate his love from his wrath, and that's what's going on here. I mean, he loves his people so, so much that he's coming to give justice, that he's coming on this earth to protect and care for his people, and any parent will tell you this true. If someone does something horrific to my kids, I don't care the repercussions, I'm coming for them. That, that is the love of a father coming after, after his people. Love brings a heart to seek justice and wrath to those who oppress. And so this isn't really a, a Christmas passage here, but let's look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19, we see Jesus not wrapped in swaddling clothes, but wearing a robe dipped in blood. That's the second advent. Revelation 19.1 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and out of his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm. That is the second advent. How about we put up decorations for that coming? What would that look like? Inflatable horse? Maybe we all get tattoos on our thighs? That's what we are looking forward to and longing for. This is what Christmas needs to be. Not remembering an event that just happened 2,000 years ago. It's happened. We're longing for the pain and the hurt to end. Just like they were. We're longing for no more giving into temptation. And that's how we redeem Christmas. That's what Christmas is celebrating. His first coming that makes us look to the second coming. I mean, I think, usually if I think, if I can get my kiddos to say that Christmas isn't about presents, it's a win. And it's a real win if I can get them to say, it's Jesus' birthday. We've got to go, we've got to go a little bit more than that. We've got to do a little bit more than that. Make one step further. Yes, we celebrate his first coming, but that allows us to long for the second coming. Duke Kwan, uh, another pastor, a friend of ours, um, has said, Advent means violence, oppression, injustice, and death itself have an expiration date. Advent means a day is coming when the eschatological or end-time dream will finally swallow the nightmare. Therefore, Advent means I can labor energetically for justice of all kinds, racial, economic, gender, criminal, with the assurance that my labor is never, no, never in vain. And so that's a, just a different Christmas, yes? Then we're struck with these beautiful names in verse 6, and I can't do justice to all of them. But let me look at that first one there. Wonderful Counselor. Counselor is someone who, who gets to know you best, right? You're, you're able to share everything with them. I highly encourage counseling. I'm in counseling. <laughs> we need it. We need ongoing counseling. But they, they ask you a ton of questions to get to know you. And remember, for a first century Jew, who God was to them. I mean, he was the Almighty, right? They, they can resonate with that second title, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. They can resonate with that. But, but Wonderful Counselor would be startling to them. Because only the high priest would ever enter the Holy of Holies to meet with God. But to have a relationship with him like a counselor, jeez, I mean, no way. The Jews wouldn't even pronounce his name Yahweh, let alone spell it, right? And yet Jesus Christ puts on our clothes, moves into our neighborhood. He catches fish with his men. And he was not just a prophet telling people how to get to God. He says, I'm, I'm God and I'm coming down to you. I'm going to move into your neighborhood and we're going to have a block party. And he has parties all the time, right? He was Emmanuel, God with us. He loves his people enough to move with them. And so how do we celebrate the first Christmas or Advent? As we, today is the very first Sunday of it, December 1st. As we move into this whole season of Advent, some of you may hate it because it's become commercialized. How do we redeem it? How do we celebrate Advent or Christmas this year? Let me give you three ways. First, look at at the darkness in the world. 
I know it's easier to look away, to escape, and to pacify it all, but just look at it. Look at it and list what it is. What are, what are the pains that you may have? Write it down. And then as Ann Voskamp has said, pierce the darkness with light. Pierce the darkness with light. I mean, light's poking holes through dark story everywhere. There are light pokers everywhere we turn. Women are telling the truth. Men are standing up for justice. Families are welcoming in the orphan and the stranger and the refugee. Whole communities are doing hard and right things, exploding supernovas right into the darkest of nights. And so pierce the darkness with the light. So don't gloss over the darkness. Pierce it. Second, this is a hard one. Repent of your hurry. Mm, none of us like that one. Advent reminds us to listen to the message that God is speaking even in the waiting. And I know none of us like waiting. We all want to see it as like in a waiting room with an, a, a 20-year-old magazine that we have no interest in. We're just waiting. We, I just need to get through this. But the th spirit of Advent is, is that God is speaking to you even in the waiting. There's a poet, R.S. Thomas, who put it, the meaning is in the waiting. Advent forces us, down, forces us to slow down. And so, I, I mean, I'm like you. I, I'm annoyed when my Amazon Prime package hasn't come after two days. I'm frustrated when I chose the wrong line at the grocery store. Like, that, that was the right line. I should have gone with my first in, in, inclination. I'm annoyed when people don't get to their point quick enough. <laughs> On TV, not in person. I'm annoyed when my kids won't walk fast enough. And so Advent is forcing us hurried people to slow down. <laughs> because Advent is about waiting. And there's something there for us to consider. I mean, remember in the Old Testament, the, the, the last book of the Old Testament is what? Malachi. Malachi 4.1 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And so God is promising to end suffering again. He says, I will take down the arrogant so as not to even leave the root of them on the earth. And now if you go from Malachi 4 to Matthew 1, which for us takes just a second to meet Jesus, for them it took 400 years. The promise that Jesus is coming and they're waiting. They get 400 years of darkness. I mean, 400 years of utter silence, just waiting and longing. You have to ask yourself, would I, would, would, would I heard of something that was supposed to happen 400 years ago, would I still believe it? That was still coming. And that's what we're in right now. Do we still believe that he's coming? Do we still believe that he's coming? I mean, it's not four weeks of, of lighting a candle, of, of, of expecting the supernovas, I mean, of, of, of people just doing good works and, and, and working through that. I mean, they had 400 years of these superpowers taking over. And so that's why we have come that long expected Jesus. God, are you there? Have you forgotten us? Where are you, O Lord? Why didn't you come sooner? I mean, some of you guys are asking that right now of God. Why, 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 why haven't you come sooner? Why hasn't he come back? Why is he putting up with humanity? And if you turn on the news, you can understand why. Say, like, why don't you just wipe us out? 
And then we have that verse that we read earlier in 2 Peter. That why is he waiting? That there's meaning in the waiting, and maybe he's waiting to reach someone you know that doesn't know Jesus. That he's actually patient for them because he's still ransoming captive Israel. He's still redeeming his bride. He's still saving the lost, and he's waiting to the fullness of time to reach them. And so he could have come sooner, but the meaning is in the waiting. And so I just say, repent of your hurry. And I spend more time on this one because this is just a hard one. And, and, and live and love at the pace of grace. I mean, it's hard to be gracious when you're in a hurry. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a list person. I love my lists of what to do in the day. And at the end, I can like knock them all off. And now that we're electronic, I can hit the little button that gives the little check mark. That check mark makes me feel so good. I've gotten so much done today. And if people interrupt that checklist, <laughs> I mean, how dare I have a, have a, this is what Scotty Smith says. He says, may my, may my to love list exceed my to do list a thousandfold. May my to love list supersede my to do list a thousandfold. And so it's just like, ouch. <laughs> am, I, am I too busy to make a to love list? If you're like me, repent with me. And let's let Advent force us to slow down. And when we slow down, we recalibrate and we take stock of what's actually important. We don't rush through the waiting. We look, we, we look for the meaning in it. And so maybe my six-year-old isn't slow. Maybe he's not distracted. Maybe he's in awe of what God's actually done in the world. And I need to be in awe of that too. But lastly, let Christmas not house joy, but point to it. Hmm. As I already said, we decorate our house with some Star Wars characters and lights and trees, and there's nothing wrong with the sentiment uh, and the nostalgia and the emotions of Christmas. God has made us this way. But let's not let the romance and nostalgia become the substance. I mean, the, the pursuit of our Christmas celebrations. Let, let, let's make sure that those don't become these deceptive lies for us to believe that that's where the joy is actually housed. As John Piper calls them, they become joy mirages. And you know what a mirage is? It's something that you think is there, but it's an illusion. It's a trick your mind is playing on you, and it's just really nothing. I think when we look for joy in our traditions and in Christmas, we, 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 we look for our joy in the traditions, and rather than looking through our traditions, if we do that, then our joy just crashes. When we look for hope in time spent with family, which is good, when we look for joy in what the presents we might get, when we look for joy in what opportunities might come, our joy dies because those things don't actually house joy. They point to it, and Christmas becomes painful. And that's because our Christmas traditions don't so much house joy but point to it. And so the lights that you put up, whether you're going to do it or not, the lights you see around town, we know that those don't actually house joy, but they point to the joy. And so let the, the, the star on your Christmas tree not be a, a house of hope, but a pointer to the real hope that's, that's piercing the darkness. Because right here in this Isaiah passage, you have thrills of hope that are piercing the pain. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And that means that the darkness will not end or will not win in the end. 
The darkness will not win in the end because we have a God who defies logic, who defies natural laws, and he steps into the world. He becomes human. He has a belly button. And then he doesn't just demand you work for the Almighty. The Almighty works for you. That son was given for you so that you can't earn his love and you can't out his love. And he's coming again. Is he coming again? Yes, yes. The darkness will not win in the end. And before he comes again with justice, let's take a hold of his grace today. Let's pray.